Well, the set is all ready. The actors are all practiced. The musicians are doing their last-minute fine-tuning. And we are ready to present to Durham Region the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth is marching on. And I'm really excited about this Christmas season and what God is, is up to. I, I really believe in my heart that uh, God is, is going to do something really amazing. That this year, the way things are shaping up and just the sense we have around here of the spirits moving, that God is going to do the most spectacular things in our midst. And I, I think you believe that too. And we are looking so forward to it. And I trust that, that you are um, uh, engaged in, in uh, what God is about to do for our Christmas presentations. And I, I want to ask you to do something that, that I don't think I've asked you before. I want to ask you as a congregation, and I asked the, the service before, that each one of us would commit to praying every single day this week for our presentation that's going to be at the end of this week. Would you commit to doing that? Pray every single day. I really believe that if we pour out our hearts to God and we tell Him how important it is to us, I mean, we already know it's important to the Lord that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go forward. But if we tell Him how important it is to us and we call on His name and we, we don't rely on ourselves but we rely only on the power of God and in His strength, it's not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I believe that if we really Honestly, get on our knees this week and pray. I'm believing that God is going to save many, many people through this Christmas season. I'm really excited about what's going to happen. And I, pray, I really ask, as part of, of those who will be responsible, as one who will be responsible as well with everybody else, about bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the many lost family, friends, co-workers that are going to be here, I really, really... Uh, on behalf of everybody who's participating, we ask you to pray for us. We really need you to pray. Would you pray? If you would, would you put your hand up? Don't, don't if you're not going to, but if you're going to pray every single day this week, that's great. That's amazing, and I know God is going to do something powerful. Let's pray to that end. Our Father and our God, there are skeptics that rise up, and uh, our region here, Lord Durham region, is filled with people who either have never come into contact with the truth of the gospel or who have been rejecting it, Lord, who have been turning their back on it. Uh, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've gone our own way. But Father, I know uh, you are a compassionate, long-suffering, and kind God, a God who longs to save people, to bring them to yourself. And so, Father, we pray on behalf of our region. We pray, Lord, that you would fill this church four times over, Lord, and that there wouldn't be a place available for anybody. And Lord, you would bring many, many lost people here. And you would bring people, Father, whose hearts are going to be inclined to listen. And Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would prepare those hearts and they would respond to the truth that's offered, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, we would have many whose whose new beginnings, uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ would begin this week, Lord, how excited we are about what, what we've seen you doing around us. We know you've been giving us, Lord, uh, evidences, harbingers of the things to come. Uh, first fruits, Father. And we just believe that you are going to do something powerful. Now I pray, Lord, that you would stave off the powers of darkness. That you would hinder the kingdom of evil. And that, you would, uh, that your purposes would go forward. 
And Lord, I pray that you would prompt God's people, all who have been in here and indicated this morning that they're going to pray every day this week. Would the Spirit of God please prompt them, Lord? If it gets to be one minute to midnight and they haven't prayed, Lord, would you speak to their hearts and would, would we bow before you right there and pray for what you're about to do this, this coming week? And Lord, now I pray for what you're about to do as we uh, open up your word this morning. Thank you for this time together as we've called out to you in song and asked you to... to, to uh, Speak to us and, and move us and change us as we acknowledge you as a defender, our deliverer, our savior, Father. We come before you and we plead, Lord, that you would uh, move our hearts and change us, Lord. I pray that you would embolden us as we uh, come into an encounter with this powerful text this morning. Father, I pray that, that you would give us a new sense of courage and boldness. If we haven't asked people to come out this week, Lord, that you'd, you'd give us boldness and courage to do that. To stand for you, Lord, uh, because you have given us your great, great salvation through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. It always comes as a real shock when you find out that, that you are attacked for being good. Or, or you are resented or, or somehow you're hated or, or, or there's some sort of jealousy toward you for serving the Lord, for standing for the truth. But Jesus warned us of this. He said, all men will hate you. In fact, he said in John chapter 15, verse 18 and following, he said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. I remember the first time someone trumped up false accusations against me. And two things stood out as I remember back on that occasion. And by the way, it wasn't here at Calvary. So you don't have to concern yourself, but two, two things stood out uh, at that time. How easily people can invent lies, and the second thing that stood out to me is, is how willing people were to believe them. And, and uh, as I, I consider this text this morning, we're going to look at it in a few moments in Daniel chapter 6, I, I think I, I, an overriding sort of observation is the absurdity of the passion with which people hatefully oppose the things of God. And the other part of it, the other side of that, or the other aspect that I want to explore this morning, is the the pressure that can be imposed when you resolve to be both a law-abiding person and loyal to God at the same time. And I'm convinced that 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 describes everybody who's in here, that, that you long to be fundamentally in this country, a law-abiding person, and you want to be loyal to Christ. And when that comes into collision, it's always a a challenging uh, reality. I want to look specifically this morning at what to do when you are tossed to the lions. Now, likely not literally, but certainly figuratively and viciously and ferociously and dangerously, what to do when that happens. For instance, when your established pattern of worship suddenly becomes a contravention of the law. Now, that's not the case yet here in Canada, but there are warning signs all around us, I would think, what to do when that happens. And certainly many of our brothers and sisters around the world living in hostile nations face that all the time. When the worship of God, the regular worship of God comes in collision with the laws of the land. 
Or, for instance, you might have an unbelieving spouse for, who forbids you to worship. What to do when that happens. Or perhaps when it is against the law to teach certain parts of the scripture. We're really close to that. Or if an employer asks you to be dishonest. Just this one time and just this small little thing. What to do when that happens. Or what to do if you're a young person and your parent Parents are unbelieving what to do when they forbid you from worshiping God. Or when you're just simply discarded or pressured or persecuted for your faith. What to do? I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. When you are thrown to the lions. Daniel chapter 6. Now as we move our way through this, we've come to the end of this section of Daniel's memoirs about his own life and his own situation, his own political experiences, the next half of Daniel are about prophetic of future things. Some of which had already happened historically. Some are yet to happen. We'll tackle that after the, uh, uh, in the first of the new year. But uh, we have a Christmas uh, thing to deal with over the next number of weeks. But, but this comes to a really fitting conclusion of, of Daniel's memoirs. And, and this is a really tough one for him. Daniel chapter 6. The Babylonian kingdom, you'll remember, the Babylonians have been overthrown. Belshazzar has been overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. And now we come into the the workings and the, the government administration of a new nation. The nation of the Medes and the Persians. In Daniel chapter 6, it reads this way. It pleased Darius... To appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. One of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Note that. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. That the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Note that. At this... The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Can you imagine? So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So, King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree... That during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, 
the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? I wonder if Daniel messed with them. I think there was a pause. Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Ladies, be aware of what your husbands are up to. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And God's people say, Amen. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Isn't that a great, powerful testimony to our great God's power? Wow. This is God's word to us. Well... Let's look at uh, how the lion prowls. You know, Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 5, 7, that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion seeking whom he can devour. It, it seems absurd to us, but make no mistake about it, we are in a constant battle. We are in warfare. We are always up against an adversary. And so the lion prowls. And he is always looking for an occasion to find a way to toss you to the lions. Why? Well, quite simply, because darkness really does hate 
the light. That's the reality of, of where we live. You know, it says in the text that, that Daniel so distinguished himself. And, and Daniel was, was exceptional in his qualities. And, and there was a planned promotion. It's the perfect atmosphere, the perfect storm for the enemy to try and undercut the man of God. See, there's a deadly duel on the dark side. The first is jealousy. Uh, These men were jealous. See, there was three who had been promoted to the top of the administrators of the then most expansive kingdom in the earth. And it says in the text that they planned to promote Daniel. There's a little subtle hint there, you know. It, it says that, um, that the, uh, the, the, the uh, Darius had, had put these administrators over all of the satraps to, to make sure that he didn't suffer a loss. The high value to that king was integrity. The high value to that king was honesty. Because we all know that within the... Um, Governmental systems around the world and the multi-layered governmental systems. There is plenty of corruption. And so Daniel stood out. And there was jealousy because God had enabled him to, 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 to be blessed. And there's blessings to godliness. Make no mistake about it. But not only was there jealousy, there was resentment. Resentment, you see, because there was no corruption. Daniel was entirely trustworthy. Daniel... Did not, was not negligent in, his, in the operation of his, 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 uh, his business, his administration. And, and so he was making the character and moral lives of those around him appear in stark contrast. He was bad for business. I mean, they had become used to a little bit for you, a little bit for me, a little bit down the line, you know. Daniel would have none of that. And he realized that if Daniel was going to be the leader, he's going to be the chief administrator, that, that honesty and integrity and, and, and complete trustworthiness was going to be in vogue. Their lives were not going to measure up to that. It was bad for business. Restrictive on their lifestyles, at least the way they wanted to live. And, and we get the sense of that by how they almost, I think, sneer In verse 5, we're not going to trap Daniel. We're not going to catch him unless it has something to do with the law of his God. I can sense that there there was resentment about the law of the God of Daniel. Now, ultimately, we also have to come to terms with the fact that if you have passionate loyalty for Jesus Christ, then it works its way into everything that you do in life. You see, we're told by the text that Daniel was giving giving it his all in the workplace. I mean, he was a model employee. He, He stood out for promotion. He was benefiting the kingdom in the place where he was working. There's no doubt about that. But ultimately, the picture we get of him is three times a day he went home. And he went into his house and... And, he, and he, the windows were wide open and he got down on his knees and he aimed his face toward Jerusalem and he prayed. 
And, and people were aware of that. That's how they trapped him. They knew he had a prayer life. And they knew that he was praying toward Jerusalem, the city that represented and it symbolized the salvation of God, although it was dilapidated at the time. And, and his co-workers couldn't help but see that, that in his heart of hearts, what really mattered to him was, was not Babylon and and it was not the, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. As much as he gave it his all and he was a model employee. When it came right down to it, it wasn't about promotion. And it wasn't about possessions. And it wasn't about friends. And, and it wasn't about all the, the trappings of success. It was about his heart for the salvation of people. And he prayed toward Jerusalem. Knowing full well that there was no salvation to be had praying to the gods of the Medes and the Persians. And it bothered them. And when you serve Christ with your whole heart in your workplace, God will bless you. You'll be an effective employee. You'll be one of the best employees. But ultimately, the loyalty of your heart will be to Christ and Christ alone. And you won't won't be tantalized by the, the promotions and the possessions and All the trappings and all the the internal political intrigue and scheming, that that won't attract you. That won't draw you. You won't hang out the same way as they do. You won't carouse the same way as they do. You won't have the same thought life as they do. And and they'll resent it. I'm I'm not telling you something you don't already know. I can tell by how you're looking at me this morning, how you're nodding your head that You've been there and done that. And you're continuing to be there and doing that. The question that's set before us is, can this sneaky intrigue and dirty politics best God? Now, let let me just say to you that before I leave and and give you a few uh, ideas on how to combat this, Make no mistake that you need to know how the darkness is, is working in your life, how it, how it attempts to work in your life. The tactics that are revealed here in Daniel's memoirs are in many ways a pattern, a paradigm of how it works, fueled, of course, by Satan. The logic of the illogic is we have an enemy. And our determined, I'm talking about those who are faithful to the Lord, our determined lack of tolerance toward wickedness and immorality is furiously opposed. Daniel lays out for us in his memoirs, selectively, a pattern of three steps that the enemy seeks in terms of of how to try and bring you down. The, The darkness, you see, is bent on pressing you into its mold. That's why Paul wrote to the Romans and said, don't be conformed to this world, rather be transformed. That word conformed is it's trying to shape you, it's trying to mold you, it's trying to press you into the shape and the thinking of the way the world system operates. And and Satan fuels that. He looks for opportunities. In this particular case, Daniel was up for a promotion That fueled the opportunity for those who were opposing him to to rise up in their their fury and jealousy. 
Now, it started in chapter 1. Daniel shows us this pattern. The, the first thing that the world system will try to do is, is, is pressure you to conform so that you will lose your identity in Christ. You remember how the tactics were? Uh, they'd bring in the captives and they trained them in, in education of the Babylonians, in the language of the Babylonians. They'd give them names, Babylonian names, and they were going to have them eat all the food of the Babylonians. And, and Daniel and the four guys said, Enough! Okay, enough. We are not going to totally conform to the way you want things to be. We are going to preserve our identity in the living God. It's insidious. It works its way into your life. What we know, how we think, how we eat. The second came in chapter 3. When the King Nebuchadnezzar put up this great idol... And so our world system tries to seduce us into idolatry so that we will forsake our loyalty to Christ. And the world isn't putting up large statues for us to bow down to, but there's plenty of idols, idol gods that are seeking to distract our time away from the living God. And the world is attempting to press you into its mold to conform that you might in fact be seduced into idolatry, and lose your loyalty, your single focused loyalty toward Christ. That's why Daniel went home three times a day, got down on his knees, and prayed toward Jerusalem, Lord God, help me. Help me never to lose my loyalty to you and you alone. And the third of those patterns is in Daniel chapter 6, the one we're going to look at. If these won't work, Then the evil one pulls out the big guns and tries to frighten us from our spirituality. Tries to scare us away from piety. Tries to bring bring out the big guns to make us stop worshiping our God and be like them. And here's the rationale. If Christians become like the world, the world won't feel pressured by the fact that we are not like them. That's the seduction. And so then you have this leadership moment. And uh, by the way, leadership outside of the wisdom of God is already a disadvantage. And Darius was um, schmoozed by the folly of flattery. Oh, king, live forever. We've all gathered and we've all thought about how we could recognize your greatness. And, and we've come up with this brilliant idea. We've, we've, we've thought for 30 days, listen to us now, listen, this is a great idea. For 30 days, nobody in the land will be allowed to pray to any other God or any other man but you. Isn't it amazing? This is a great thing. And, and by the way, all the, all the administrators think this is a great idea. All the satraps, all the governors, everybody. And, and of course, you know, flattery. It's like, hey, music to my ears. There was one very important administrator who wasn't part of this. Daniel. True leadership, intelligent leadership would have said, wait, wait, wait a second, guys. As much as I'm flattered. Daniel, who is up for promotion, the guy who I'm actually going to put in charge of everything, why is he not here making this suggestion? And so in haste, he acts upon it. And they pressure him to write it down because 
the bad and weak governmental system of the Medes and Persians, once it was written down, it could not be repealed. No appeal process. Now, all around, Daniel knew that his faith was the absolute guiding principle of his life. Is that true of you? If people were looking to trap you or were looking to make a scheme stick, what would they choose to use? Would they dangle opportunities for dishonesty? Lack of integrity? Or would they say, there's no way we're ever going to trip this person up unless we somehow get some sort of scheme that will trick them or cause them to be disloyal to their God. Let me just give you four quick points on how I think Daniel faced down the powers of hell without fearing evil. It's the, it's the critical, critical pattern for stripping Satan of his power in your life. Because he is coming after you, he has come after you, and he's going to continue to come after you. So how can you strip him of his power? That's crucial in this particular story. Under threat of the lion's den, Daniel goes to talk to the Lord. Shouldn't he have been afraid? I have to wonder to myself, you know, as I think about what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, 7 about this adversary who prowls around seeking whom he can devour. And then it says in the text, resist him. Stand firm on, his, on, on the Lord's word. I have to wonder to myself, once Daniel heard that this edict had been written down, I wonder if what crawled through his mind was Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because, because what? You are with me. Here's the key. First, be settled in the extent of God's control. I will not fear evil because you are with me. I mean, let that resonate in your head over and over and over again, okay? The God of heaven and earth, the God who made it all, the God who spoke the universe into existence is with you. Emmanuel, God is with us. Regardless of what the enemy throws at you, regardless of what the people at the workplace or in your neighborhood or your family or whatever, whatever they throw at you, I will fear no evil. I will not fear evil. Because God is with me. My peace I give to you, Jesus said. Not peace as the world gives. And then he said, the peace I give to you will enable you not to be afraid. Twice he says it. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Settle on the extent of God's control. Well, what kind of control did God need to have over all of this situation? There's five L's in this. Lies, lords, laws, lions, and locks. Write that down, Pastor Kelvin. You might like that alliteration someday. It's okay, you don't have to. 
Not John Locke. He did raise his eyebrows at me, though. Lies. How was it they came to uh, undermine Daniel? Lies. Can lies undermine us when God sees all things? Oh, yes, the lies will come. But remember this. I will fear no evil. I will fear no lies. Why? Because God is with me. And God sees whether it's true or false. What about the lords? Oh, these underlords, these, these little, little guys running around calling themselves lords of leaping. What about these guys? God is at work. While everybody's busy and scheming and coming up with all kinds of plans to try and take you down, God is at work. Because he's with you. And what about the law? The law of the Medes and Persians. I'm sure that God in his throne in heaven was shaking and quaking. Oh no, the law of the Medes and Persians. It can't be repealed. What am I ever going to do? I'm going to lose my servant. Oh no. You think that's what God was doing? I don't think so. You know, the law that can't be repealed here on earth. It can't have any effect on you unless God decides it can. What about the lions? These are real things, you know. These aren't domestic little cats. As, as some of those who would try to strip away the miraculous from everything. Oh, they were, they were old and sick and they didn't have any teeth and their mouths were sewn shut. Please, give me a break. Did they not read the rest of the story? In the morning, who got thrown in? And what happened? They were devoured. These are hungry, nasty lions. What's happening here? Hey, the God who made the lions is the same God, it says, Daniel says, who sent his angel to stop the lions. And by the way, this, is the, this was what the creation event was all about. You think that when God made Adam and Eve and threw them in the garden, it was like they were caged in a zoo running around. Oh no, lions are going to kill us. Tigers are after us. You think they were running all over the place? No, I think Adam was like, hey, I got a lion here. I got a tiger here. I got, I got my baby Eve with me. I mean, they were just cruising around the garden. That's the way it was at creation. It, it, we, we learned that it wasn't until Noah's flood and after they came out that, that the fear was placed in animals until that time. No. It's sin that caused them to be furious. But by the way, this was a breaking in of the age to come. It says in the word of God in Isaiah and Micah, there'll come a day when the lion will lie with the lamb. There'll come a day when a kid is playing with a cobra and nobody's going to be upset about that. This is the power and dominance of God over the animal kingdom. The way it is. The way, the way it's supposed to be. The way it will be. Okay, what about the locks? Well, did you hear in the text? They threw them in a lion's den and they put a big stone on top of it. And then they put seals. They put the king's signet seal and they put all the noble seals on it. And God was in heaven saying, what in the world am I ever going to do? It's now been locked up tight. Reminds me of another story. Lies, lords, laws, lions, and locks. Remember the lies they told about Jesus? Remember all those little lords running around saying how they were going to scheme and and to take Jesus out of it. And in fact, they even said they had a law. It says in John chapter 19, we have a law. 
that he must be killed. And the lions, the, the break-in of the age to come. Did, did you not hear that when, when Jesus was crucified, at, at that moment there was an earthquake and the graves uh, were opened and, and many were resurrected from the dead? It was a picture of the age to come. And all oh, the locks. Oh yeah, they rolled a stone, remember? And they sealed it tight. They put up security guards. And they couldn't keep your Jesus in the tomb. Beloved, you have to be settled in how in control God really is. And then you will fear no evil. But but we go on, and, and you have to be convinced that the law of God overrules every law of man. And and rightly apply it. In this particular case, when when the law of man forces you personally to break the law of God or attempts to, you must refuse. When that unbelieving spouse forces you not to worship or tries to force you not to worship, what must you do? Say, well, wait a second. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says in the text there that that wives should yield to their husbands. And and in the case of of a believing wife who has an unbelieving husband, by yielding to your husband, he may come to know Christ. So I guess I have to do exactly what he says. No, wait a second. It says, when he sees your reverence and purity. Ah. So there are parameters. Sure there are. To yielding. Yielding in ways that please the Lord. Not to go against him. You remember when Peter and John were told, "Uh, go ahead, but you can't preach anymore. What did they say? No, no, we have to obey the Lord, not men. What about the Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter 1 when they were ordered to, to slaughter the Jewish male children? What did they say? No, no, we have to obey God. So, The application of this text in our lives is is when we are asked personally, when we are told personally, when we are ordered personally in any way to contravene the things we know are right about God in our lives, the, the, the way we know we're supposed to behave, then we refuse. But by the way, this is not the flip side. The opposite is not true. This is not a text whereby we can go around ordering the, uh, the court system to hang the Ten Commandments in the, in the uh, judge's chamber or where we can say there must be Bible reading in the school or there must be the Lord's Prayer in the school. No, no, no. That's, this is not an application in that direction. The, the secular is no friend of the sacred. We're there to influence and impact, but this text doesn't tell us that we can call that persecution. And in this conflict, thirdly, we have to be resolved in advance that there is a cost of faithful living. With quiet resolve, Daniel accepted the cost because he really trusted in God. Do you understand that Daniel would rather be eaten than not pray to God? He didn't know if he was coming out of this thing alive. You know why? Because long before that, he, he refused to lose his... Godly identity. He had already determined long before that he was going to avoid false religion. He would not choose replacement gods in his life. He had already resolved long before that that he would practice true religion. And that's why it key is in verse 10 at the very end there. It says, 
that he went back and prayed after the edict had been written down. He went back and prayed at the very end of the verse, just as he had done before. This was the habit and practice of Daniel. He had already counted the cost in his life a long time ago. He had resolved that he was a man of God. And had determined that there would be a cost to that faithfulness. And finally, he was able to live confidently because he always made right way choices. Was Daniel perfect and sin- or sinless? No, he was not. Only Jesus Christ has ever been sinless. So let's not hold Daniel up as some sort of champion. To be honest, what Daniel presents for us here is no different than how we can live ourselves. Daniel's not the champion of this. If Daniel were here proclaiming this, he would be embarrassed if we thought he was the champion or if we made anything out of his life. Daniel was a faithful servant of the living God. Daniel's strength and resolve and commitment and loyalty were about the presence and power of God in his life. That was his testimony. That was his resolve. And he learned to live confidently because he had made right way choices. Another way of saying righteous choices. He says when he came out of the lion's den, the reason that I'm standing before you, king, is because I was found innocent before my God, and I had never done anything to try and harm you. Are we always rescued from the lion's den? No. Sometimes you die in the den. But I want to die making the right choices in my life, not for the wrong choices. And Daniel was a right-way choice guy. And he made the right choices. And he made a difference. Let me close this way by saying to each of you, we give Satan strength when we try to protect ourselves by caving to the pressure to conform. You know, I have to wonder if I had been in that situation. And I thought about it, you know. Here's the threat. Stop praying for 30 days or I'm throwing you in a lion's den. I'm wondering if I would have said, it's just 30 days. You know, Lord, you need me. Because after all, I'm up for promotion. You know that Darius is going to put me in charge of everything. And, And look at the influence and impact I can have on the kingdom and, and so for 30 days, would you give me a free pass, God? Would you, would you let me protect myself in this case? And it's only for 30 days. You know, when that boss says, um, just this one time, just this one time, I, I want you to fudge the details. I, I want you just to, just to look the other way, just, just this time when, you know, there's a, a little bit of bribery going on. Would you just look the other way? Just this one time. This wasn't about a 30-day package program. Oh, this time it was 30 days. If Daniel fudges for 30 days, you know what it becomes in Satan's economy? A year. Or two years. Satan is not going to stop until he erodes your faith fully. And it's up to you. You've you got to take a stand right from the get-go. No, this is who I am. This is who God is. 
and this is the way I will live, even if it costs me my life. That's what the faith of Daniel is all about. And that takes the power of Satan's sting out. Because if you aren't afraid of evil, then God's plan and program can work powerfully through your life because no threat will take you off course. That's the powerful lesson of Daniel. Our Father and our God, as we allow the Spirit of God now to take that word, the word of God to us and do some refining work, do some renovation in our hearts, Lord, in the whole area of, of resolve to defeat the powers of hell and fear no evil. I pray, Father, in whatever setting we find ourselves, that, that right now we will rededicate ourselves to a commitment to the power of God in our lives. Not try to manage our own but to allow you to work, Lord, in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what the kingdom of darkness is up to in your life. Satan is going to use people to try and cause you to be frightened. That's his modus operandi, to see if he can cause you to be afraid, to see where your fear factor is. Daniel has demonstrated to us what the power of God can do in life that's totally loyal to God. I was thinking of, you know, when you go to a building or a business or something like that, and it'll say, established in a certain date. And it'll say, serving the Durham region faithfully and loyally for 50 years or whatever, with integrity. I was thinking to myself that each of us, as a takeaway from this morning's service, is to think about that day when we were established in the faith. For me, it was July 1964. And I think about, you know, here I am, Lord, established, 1964. Not to be moved, steadfast, firm, through your strength and your power. Would you grant me, Lord, the ability to serve you with steadfastness and surety, confidence? Because after all, it was on that day in July 1964, where the Lord himself came and lived in my heart. He became mine and I became his. And so I will fear no evil because he is with me. It's the same for you. Whatever that date is, think about that and establish yourself. Lord, it was that day that you came to live in my life. You are with me and there's nothing I need to be afraid of. And I want to put out a challenge to those of you who couldn't say that. Maybe you say, I don't have an established date. I, I haven't come to know Jesus Christ. There's no time when he's come into my life. Today could be that day. Jesus Christ has died on the cross of Calvary to save you from your sins, that by believing in him, you might have eternal life, that God might come and live within your heart, forgive you of your sins, and be your Lord and Savior. And then today, December, what is it, four? 2011, established. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they accompany me. You prepare a banquet table in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will chase me my whole life. And 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To you, O Lord, we lift up our praise and our thanksgiving. In Jesus' name.